3: And happy Lunar New Year to those who celebrate. Um, yesterday we had a spirited discussion on the, uh, forwards and vet minimum situation. And then I got to watch Andre Drummond drop 16 and 23 and five and three and two. And then we get more news this morning. Um, we haven't gotten anything official, but Shams just tweeted right as we're about to record this, um, that LeBron is expected to miss Wednesday's game and perhaps a few games more. Darius. This whole season has been a just wait for, just wait for it. Just wait for us to get healthy. Let's, uh, you know, try to get our legs underneath us. And we were talking off, off pod the other day that if this is just one of them seasons where it never happens, I mean, that happens sometimes in, in the NBA. Um, but I think that there needs to be a certain recalibration of, uh, of expectations of what we want to see going forward. And it starts with LeBron. And so, in light of this news, we don't have anything more definitive. Maybe we get something more with Lakers mini availability later. And if so, we'll discuss that tomorrow. But looks like LeBron's going to be out for a bit. We're already pretty firmly in playing territory. How does this kind of change your perspective on the upcoming stretch?
2: I honestly can't tell you what my perspective was on the upcoming stretch. Vince Gully had that famous saying where they would list some player as day to day. And he would say something like, but aren't we all? That's sort of how I viewed the Lakers season. They have no footing. The ability to project forward is based off of some sort of sturdy base that you can then sort of look out off of and say, well, if this is what they have, then this is what we can expect. Mm -hmm. And they haven't had their team all season. And Mike was speaking to this yesterday in a different context about the idea of um, the vet minimum guys and how much those guys do or do not matter when their entire existence within the construct and the fabric of the team is predicated off of the star players. Now, we can debate how true that is or isn't, but one thing we're not going to debate is how important the star players actually are. Right. Right right and lebron's still the best player on the team even if he wasn't still the best player on the team and anthony davis was sort of right there with him shout out to john hollinger there's a there's still this idea that lebron is the guy who's going to have the ball more which makes him more important in a lot of ways because there is a sense of decision making and the way that plays
3: are determined and and the path that they follow, right? In some ways, like the Shaq and Kobe years, Shaq was the better player during those years. But since Kobe had the ball, that kind of elevated him to the, he's going to be making more decisions with it. And so that in and of itself is important. Yeah, which often led to some of the frustrations around <laughs> <Right>. Kobe. <laughs> yeah, some inter-
2: entertaining moments, yes. Yeah, because he's the one who's making the the decisions. But Mike, Malik Monk the other day was basically like, yeah, we kind of miss LeBron down the stretch of these games especially against Atlanta where they were basically like look we're in the lead we should be winning these these games and anthony davis expressed a certain amount of frustration as well like we've been up in games and we haven't been able to close out teams and if lebron is nothing else nothing else he is your late game organizer right he's so much more than that obviously but if he's nothing else he is that and The Lakers probably have enough talent to be in a lot of these these games, right? And to compete night after night after night. But what they have not had is that ability to close. And LeBron's going to help with that, right? And so in terms of – I don't even want to talk about recalibrating what the season is supposed to look like without LeBron James. Without LeBron James, there is no season. Like play out the stretch – Well, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yes. Right. And so short term, long term, my expectations are like, okay, well, let's just see how the games go. I don't have expectations. It's like I I know that they're still you're trying to still get stuff out of these these games. But it's like the Flintstones here. They're moving the car with their feet like the engine is on the side of the road. Like like I don't know what to say about this at this point. Like they need LeBron James. Well,
4: that's, that's what I was trying to say yesterday, basically. Right. Like, yes, sure. We could talk about there's there have been mistakes with the roster as there are with almost every roster um, every season. There there have been mistakes with which guys are playing at which times. We know all that. We've been discussing all that. If LeBron James isn't on the court, whether it's this year, last year, any of his previous teams, there's a more noticeable drop than almost anybody else that misses time, especially with some of the system type teams. Uh, where in the, I think of right now, like Phoenix or Golden State, to an extent, Utah. But once you take two of those guys out, like in Utah with Gobert and Mitchell, they're, they're not even a playoff team, right? They, they've really, really been struggling to do anything. You take one guy out, mm-hmm. and they also really struggled. The Warriors have been able to tread water some lately um, with Draymond out after they really suffered at first uh, because they've had an easy schedule at home. Basically what the Lakers had early this season, and didn't take advantage of. And that's, again, why I think we point to those lo- some of those losses being really destructive. Because uh, all of a sudden, here we are at this point in, is it officially February? Yeah, in February 1st. And we don't even know specifically when LeBron's going to be able to return. And then when he does return, if the issue that's just in the injury report and what Frank Vogel told us the other day is general swelling, if there's swelling in a knee, you know, that's a concern. That isn't that isn't necessarily the same as all right. It's a sprained ankle, and that takes x long x amount of time. But once you once you get back from that, you know you you think for the most part that you're over the sprained ankle. So my concern level is very high. <laughs> just just for the sheer fact of what's going on with LeBron, I don't even really care if the rest of the roster is fully healthy. You know, can they still be a good team? Sure, but they're but they're not going to be the team that can do what they think they can uh, if LeBron isn't there 100. percent So. Uh, so yeah, I, I know Pete. You had hinted it that we were going to try to go in a more positive direction. This yeah, no, 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 not after but, that news. <laughs> yeah, but and and that's you know I think look that's what that's what even when it became up on their injury report as it did with the word effusion, which basically means swelling, uh, and uh, and or like that's yeah it's a problem. So it's unfortunate.
3: Hundred percent, and of course the expectations for their level of performance and. And certainly long term, like if you don't have LeBron, like you said, the season's over. It doesn't matter. Like we can we can be the plucky team that pulls it together and, you know, gets the seventh or eighth seed and wins the play in game and then gets killed in the first round if we don't have LeBron. But like at the end of the day, toward our ultimate goals, it doesn't matter. That said, I'm I still am operating under the assumption that LeBron is coming back. And when you look at the standings, we are pretty firmly in play in territory, meaning that it's pretty unlikely that we fall out. Altogether, um, And it's pretty unlikely that we climb up to the sixth seed, especially if LeBron is scheduled to be out for a couple of games. And so, Darius, when I look at this schedule coming up this week, I still look at it and say, hey, we should win. A couple of these games. Still, we have Portland coming up as our next game on Wednesday. And then we have the Clippers on the second night of a back-to-back. Those are two games that we should win. Now, mind you, the Clippers are playing well. The Port- Portland has played better, although they've dropped their last two. But I think even with our current level of talent, even with LeBron James. Those are games we should look at and be like, we should win these games. It's time to win these games in ways that Anthony Davis has expressed that frustration. Malik Monk was like, yeah, we, you know, we didn't have it, have the effort down the stretch. And to me, it's more about, and this has been our perpetual state for a hundred plus games now is just holding it down until LeBron comes back and building off of something. And that was one of the things about the road trip, uh, this past, that, that just passed is I thought that the Russ and AD groups played significantly better. And if we are to get LeBron back, if we are ever going to have our full team, those are important minutes. And those are the minutes that I have the biggest questions about. That's what I'm talking about this week is not so much like, can this team be this, you know, no, no, sure. grand, you know what I'm saying? It's just sure. like, we need to hold it down and we need to like pull things together. And whenever LeBron is ready to come back, he's ready to step into that. So I get that 100%. Let's go to break because
2: on the other side of the break, we gave you a chance to rant a little bit. The last pod, Pete, I'm going to rant a little bit and then we'll get into hey. more positive stuff about Russ and AD.
0: Sounds good.
2: Let me just say this. Just give me 30 seconds here. I'm tired of this shit. We'll give
4: you more than that. Go ahead, man.
2: No, I'm just saying I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of the like, let's hold it down and let's see what this group can do versus what that group can do. This team was built around three stars. Whatever you think of Russell Westbrook, he was an all NBA player two seasons ago, and they brought him in to be their third best player. I think he's been firmly Their third best player. The difference between their third best player and their fourth best player and their fifth best player has been vast. Probably the same difference between the difference between their second best player and their third best player, which is a Lakers problem. But whatever. I'm tired of having to be like, oh, let's hold it down until LeBron James gets back. Let's hold it down until Anthony Davis gets back. Let's hold it down. Let's hold it down. Let's hold it down. I'm tired of holding it down. At some point, I just want the team to be able to play. I just want them to be able to get healthy. We're going to get into some Russell Westbrook stuff and some Anthony Davis stuff because I think that stuff is important. And when they get LeBron James back, I hope that this team can take off. By the time they get LeBron James back, though, will there be 25 games left in this season? Will there be under 25 games left? It is frustrating as hell to sit here and consider again and again and again what is at stake for the team and the corner that they are backed into based off of the time that is available to them in order to try to accomplish the thing that they've literally been trying to do for two years and have not been able to get any footing at all based off the fact that injuries have just crippled them. and. This isn't even COVID related stuff. This is just straight up like, oh, a dude dove into my leg. A dude fell into my knee. A dude stepped under my leg. And now it's like, oh, general knee soreness and swelling for the dude who's in his 19th season and spent half of his life playing NBA basketball. It's just frustrating. So that was more than 30 seconds. I just wanted to get that off my chest really quickly. Talk to me about Russet AD. Because I think those lineups are important and their ability to thrive together. This was something they were showing before AD got hurt and something we thought the team was going to be able to lean on with LeBron. And then it all fell apart a little bit more.
4: Well, here, let me kind of set this up more so Pete can hit on that AD and Russ thing just by talking about this next week and change, which I think was part of the idea. Yeah, And Mm -hmm. I... As you guys know, I'm try I almost always try to step back and take big picture and but I'm now going to try and do what Frank Vogel is trying to do and think about this this sort of next day by day schedule so that the mm-hmm. Lakers can tread some level of water because now they're in a point where they just have to they have to position themselves for a chance uh, if to make this improbable or in- increasingly improbable run depending on how LeBron is able to come back from his knee and try to keep some optimism there and try to say, you know what, LeBron, it, nobody knows how to figure out their body better. Like he'll figure out with his knee, kind of like Kobe had to do a couple times to get through a season and to make a run. And and again, maybe that's even too pessimistic. Maybe there is a chance that it'll, it will be better than that. We shall see. But in the meantime, so Pete mentioned Portland, the Lakers get Portland. This is like the next, the next five games, right? It's bookended by Portland. In the middle, you've got the Clippers, the Knicks, and the Bucks, and the Bucks are struggling um, at the moment. I although I do think that they will not struggle in that game against the Lakers, and that will be a tough one to win. But Portland again, the Clippers, Milwaukee, uh, the Knicks, and again Portland. So Portland is in this weird spot where they, like the Lakers, are sort of in that range of they've got an edge on that last play-in spot. They don't really know if they're going to get Dame back And to what extent? But they've got some vets, even if they sort of know the experiment is not going anywhere. But like on a given night, you'll you'll see McCollum, you'll see Nurkic, you'll see Covington. Now in uh, Powell and in Anthony Simons, like you'll see them play pretty well. But they aren't they aren't a connective team right now because they don't have that belief anymore. And so, and their bench is really thin. You know, you're talking about some names that like Michael, my guy Michael Thompson. Uh, happy birthday, by the way, sixty seven just doesn't know, like hasn't heard of before. They're coming in sure. like Watford and Blevins and Brown the third, like these dudes that are coming off <laughs> sure. the bench. So the Lakers, if they just play like they played these last couple games on the trip, and especially with AD and competed, like that, those could be those could be two wins. They could certainly beat the Clippers. They could certainly beat the Knicks who are struggling and don't have a lot of talent. So and if they if they do that, Pete, if you and, like they can then even further firm their spot where at least they're going to be in that, in that range, like within the seven spot, but at worst kind of that eight, nine um, treading water. And Hey, if LeBron comes back, feel good about the chances. So that, that is the immediate thing that they have to focus on. And it is where the margin for error of guys not playing hard, Right. Or not staying focused. That's the stuff that becomes unacceptable now, yep. because that mm-hmm. margin for error, at least playing. That's why the Atlanta game didn't frustrate me that much, because at least like they didn't execute that well at times. But like they they brought it for the most part on the, the last game of the six, a six six game trip. And that's what they have to do now.
3: Yeah. The last half of that road trip without LeBron, I was fairly happy with. Even the Philly game, even though we got blown out, like we just shot like crap on open shots and that's just something that happens over the course of 82. But if we were playing at the level that we played against in that loss against Charlotte or that loss against Atlanta – at the beginning of the season when we had our really cupcake schedule we would have been able to hold it down right more effectively in a tangible way of getting wins and losses and d i i just want to say i'm right there with you i'm so tired of not being able to see my team play and i think a lot of fans are in that same spot and i'm i'm sure the players and coaches and everyone involved are are in that in that short term though mike We're talking about two weeks or so before the All-Star break. Maybe LeBron's out until then. Maybe there's some benefit. Hey, take a couple of weeks off. We're going to be in the playing range anyway. But the ability to win these games in that meantime is going to be built around that Russ and AD connection that I think is starting – it's starting to grow. Uh, Over the course of that six-game road trip, I thought that was – probably Russ's best stretch of basketball of the season. Uh, He made Darius 76% of his shots around the rim. Shout out to Vinay at VKillem on Twitter uh, for finding that stat. I saw a player who, at the beginning of the season, was going too fast, as Russ's want to do, then had this stretch of about eight to 10 games where he, he really tried to dial it back on the turnovers and did. But It took away a lot of the good of his game and then got benched in the last game before the road trip. And I thought that was a significant event in that starting with that Orlando game at the beginning of the trip, I thought he found a better balance right in between those two spaces of creating shots for himself, slowing down at the rim and and finishing around the basket, exploiting mismatches. Talk to me about Russ's road trip and – because I think that he is central to our ability to hold it down as much as we hate that for the next maybe week or two or even up until the All-Star break. Yeah. One of the things I'm seeing
2: with with Russ at least is that there is a certain amount of decisiveness that he has in terms of his individual matchup and what he thinks he can or cannot do. Oh, this and is good. Yeah. Like, OK, I can beat this guy. I can't beat this guy. What is the right play? And sometimes the right play, as much as we don't like the right play, is that pull-up jumper. As an offensive player, you never want to, like, be forced into taking the shot that the defense is telling you to take.
3: You're open for a reason, the old adage, yeah. Yeah, well, also, too, that if you're open
2: for a reason, make that, like, only me open. Right? Like, there's a mindset thing that I think is super important that that may not even be like perceptible to anyone else except
3: for you as the sure. person who is taking the shot right well it's one of two mindsets to me it's either that like oh you're going to I'm you know I'm going to knock this down and make you pay for it or you can try to leave this open and take away the paint but i'm so overwhelming that the thing that you're trying to take away, you still can't take it away. And that's when you're in business. Russ can do that to some guys and did that to some guys on the road trip. But there are others. I, I love the way you framed that, D, of like, I can't, I can't get advantage on this guy, at least not from my own bucket. And he has made those decisions much more effectively over the road trip. So
2: against the Hornets, Mike, every jump shot that Russ took was like, I'm owning this shot you're not giving me this shot. This is my shot. This is the shot I want. There are times where he shoots that shot and it's still like, no, that's a bad shot. Why are you taking that that shot? But there is a confidence and a, this isn't the last resort thing. This is the this is a part of my game and my flow and I've gotten to the rim a few times and now I'm take, taking this jumper and now you're up on me a little bit and now I'm going to the rim again. And right after that Hornets game, the Lakers lost. Russ missed that last second three. The first guy off of the bench to talk to Russ is LeBron James. And he is in his ear. And you could tell that he's talking to him. Probably not if – you know he's not talking to him about the shot that he just missed that meant that the game was lost. I'm betting he was talking to him about like this was the game for you. Right? (laughs) Do that. Like like, this is what I like Mm -hmm. about this. Like I'm with you here on this. and so there's a carry forward that Russ has had and he's been living in this, in this zone that is a positive for him. Let's go to break real quick though, because Mike on the other end of this, I'd love to get your thoughts on just sort of Russ's progression during this part of the season.
4: All right. So Russell Westbrook, these last couple of games, I think you guys both hit on the keys of it and Kind of the difference, the difference being from what was ideal and what we had all hoped for is that it hasn't been with both LeBron and AD on the court so that he could kind of mold into that third guy that, you know, potentially doing some of the stuff that he hasn't had a chance to do as much in his career or hasn't for whatever reason. And the player that they would need if they are actually going to go and make a big playoff run. But LeBron and AD came back and played that one game together in Brooklyn. And then LeBron went out. So Russ so Russ now has to shift the mindset again. All right, pedals got to go down further. And how much? And how much do you sacrifice some of the turnovers like he committed, um, by the way, in Atlanta? But how much of those are you going to have to live with because you need him to be that much more aggressive now in order to get to the basket, in order to get guys some shots? So I, I, think, that, I think that that perfectly lays it out. And uh, feel free to jump back on Russ, but I wanted to transition to AD in this context as well. Because AD, to me, has been phenomenal. Uh, so if you look at his last couple games, and it's at Philly, and it's at Atlanta, and the rebounding numbers weren't there as much like the assist in the Atlanta game, but just in terms of how of how easily AD was getting a lot of what he got, the fluidity on his jump shot, even if he missed a couple of threes in Atlanta, the uh, the ease with which he's finishing inside, the mobility on defense out to the perimeter inside. Like he he's playing to me more like a guy that, that was sitting and watching LeBron playing at this, at at the five and thinking, well, hold on a sec. This isn't, this isn't what my initial fears coming into the NBA were of having to play center and bang with these dudes when I'm used to being a guard on the perimeter, basically uh, for my life growing up. That's not the game that the NBA is anymore. There isn't a lot of that. Even with Joel Embiid, there isn't a lot. He's not he's not pounding you in the post. He's mostly facing you up. And he might, you know, he might euro step after he up fakes like and he's like, oh, hold on. Yeah, I can I can play that game pretty easily. And it's so to me, he's played with much less of a mental burden than I think that he carried into the season thinking that he was going to have to do almost everything. Pete,
2: Mm -hmm. not only do do everything, Mike, but like he actually was trying to do everything defensively at least and it was leading to him making mistakes defensively i thought and he was a part of the breakdowns defensively he was trying to live in that area where i'm doing my job and i'm trying to do half of another guy's job and you can never succeed at the nba level if you're not trusting that other guys are going to do the things that they're supposed to do too and what I've seen from AD when he's got since he's come back, Pete, is a player who's focused on what he has to do. And I've seen him bark. I love at, that. I've seen him bark at teammates too, like, nah, man, you low man, right there, right? In the same way that Braun, like, he was on Malik for not trying to jump up and break up a lob. And Right. We could argue whether or not Malik Mugg should be put in a position where he has to be low, man. But look, that's the job on some possessions. The job on some possessions is no, like you go up there or you step in there, you take the charge or you try to break up the pass. You don't just swipe and then look and be like, uh, I tried. And A.D. was on him. But previously AD might try to sink and get in there a little bit and then the ball swings to the corner and then his man was in the corner and now that guy takes an open three and he makes it and it's sort of like oh well and then AD has sunken shoulders like oh I can't do everything and cover for all these dudes and then that was impacting his effort it seemed like and he sort of lackadaisical around the paint and now i'm gonna float and shoot a jumper because i don't want to have to run maybe all this way because i'm expending all of this energy Th- the these last few well few games i've been like oh look this is the dude we know this dude he knows exactly what what he's doing, and he's letting his teammates fail on on their own merits, and he's succeeding himself. And he's trying to uplift guys, but it's just like he can't do everything. And that's kind of what I've seen from him is an acknowledgement of control the things I can control.
4: The quick add on to that, and this is this is again where it gets into oh, like this this sucks territory is that that AD is amazing, and it's back to being a top ten guy, but it's still it's a little bit to Pete's point about not having the ball and initiating. It's still different from having LeBron like it, at that stage to be able to really dominate a game. Like it, it's still, he still is a like the best possible number two, but not the guy mm-hmm. Pete going into a game where his teammates kind of like know a certain way to play off it. It's that, that to me is the, is the, the part that sucks. It's like, he's, he's so amazing in that spot and we've seen him win a title like that, but without the King guy in there, it's not quite the same.
3: It's certainly not, and I think that what it does is in some ways it elevates Russell Westbrook to being the number one, and we know the the flaws that come along give me, with that. Uh, give me five, I also think five, he's five more equipped to and we'll, do yeah, that we'll than going. he was when he was asked to do that at the beginning of the season. I think Russ is in much more of a position to step into that role at the end of the road trip and, and now than he was when he was asked to do that at the beginning of the season when LeBron missed time with the adductor strain, right? From Russell Westbrook's standpoint, you're dropped into a new environment. And early on, Darius, you have to figure out, like, what am I within this? And what this is with the Lakers roster has been constantly changing from game to game. And even if we had everybody, there would be a certain amount of like, okay, how do I fit in? If you put yourself in Russell Westbrook's shoes, right? Whereas now, I think he had, especially after that road trip, a better idea of – how he can be himself as a number one option, flaws and all, but we need to win regular season games right now. I, like I We're obviously not doing anything of significance if he's in that position long term. But when it comes to the Portlands and the Clippers and the Knicks and the types of teams that we have coming up before the All-Star break, I think he can be enough. Um, and I think that he is much more equipped to be in that position so that AD can be that wonderful number 2 and like the best number 2 that you could possibly think of but that what that point that Mike is making about not being that predominant ball handler always puts a certain ceiling on how much of the offense can be run through you and so that point in particular i think that we're more well posi- we're more well positioned to survive this stretch if we can defend that's the one thing d is teams are going to keep pulling AD out of the paint. And since we're so small and don't have fours and fives that can really play at the other spots, this was my, this was my underlying reason for thinking that we need a zone look is that if – because the tried and true historic way of addressing like, hey, the team across from me is way bigger and more athletic than us. Whether it's high school basketball all the way up through the NBA, especially the last decade or so, is to have a zone look. We played Miami, Atlanta, Charlotte. All those, those teams played zone against us at different points. We don't really have that in our arsenal. So that AD that doesn't feel the need to cover up for everyone, we still gave up what a buck. 30 or something to to the Atlanta Hawks. So talk to me about how we address that within, like, I'm glad AD is not in that place anymore, but we've got to be able to get stops. Yeah,
2: I'll be interested to see how much switching Frank Vogel deploys. He's been playing a lot more drop since AD got back, which is fine, but he's also been putting Stanley Johnson in to drops. He's been having Stanley play more center, even with AD on the floor. And so against the Hawks... Stanley was defending Clint Capella, Mm -hmm. and AD was defending John Collins on the weak side, which is not necessarily what you want if you're trying to take away the lob and play no roller behind stuff, right? And so they were then sending traps at Trey with Stanley, and that was effective. I thought the Lakers' best look, though, was when AD was defending the center and Stanley was guarding the ball. Because then when they trapped, it was like, oh, my God, these dudes are massive at the point of attack. And that was creating turnovers and pushing the Hawks offense way, way back out further. But I do think they need to get back to switching a little bit more. Now, keeping a D near the basket while still switching is going to be tricky. One of the reasons why you do play drop coverages if AD is at the point of attack a little bit is to allow him to sink back into the paint and play that no roller behind coverage. I think in the big picture, you just need guys to compete at their highest level defensively and, and, and just play to their capability on that end in terms of being locked in right i do think that they can turn the dial more towards switching i don't think that some zone look is magically going to appear and they're going to be good at it i think are going to do it at this point right yeah like they could throw it as a change up for a possession or two to to try to disrupt the rhythm um but this is where it's like okay well how do they manage this it's like i would argue trade deadlines in nine days Right, <laughs> sure. Well, like, I'm serious
4: about that, yeah, though. Of, of course, like- yeah. If, but this is, and this is the conversation too. We've we've all been pining for that extra bigger player all year. And like yesterday's pod, we're all in agreement on that. Like having that player. I, I was just trying to set the status of how that was less important than the fact that guys are out. But the when so with LeBron, AD hasn't played yet a bunch of games without LeBron with this new system in, in terms of not playing. That's a bit, right. Okay. Yeah. So they had they had they had sort of figured out how to do it to an extent without a D. And it just had its ceiling, especially on the defensive end, because they didn't have the personnel. Well, they still don't have the personnel with like now that LeBron's out, because guess who defensively could be that other big guy to either switch or to to bump off. Or if a D did get pulled out to the perimeter, then who else would be down there? And it would be LeBron. And now you can Mm -hmm. if you add Stanley to that. That's great. You're even bigger. But the key is LeBron and a D. Like the, and so there isn't that unless they start playing Dwight more, which I I just don't think is really gonna you know Dwight. We've seen what Dwight's gonna do this year. He's not gonna be the answer.
3: Yeah, that comes with its own yeah, set exactly. of problems. And yeah. on the
4: other end, and so it's so this this group now has to figure out defensively more so, much more so than offensively. I think uh, what to do and how to play. And you're right, Darius. Like I, my my best hope, and I, I think what they're all trying to figure out is is there a guy that that they can get that is worth the price of what they have to give up. That's going to make that type of difference. And there may or may not be like that player. It's not a guarantee that that player is available for what they have, Uh, but it's of course they're going to, I think they would be looking to try.
2: Real talk on that. Like I know that we're not going to get into the weeds on other players on, on other teams, but the Lakers can target big fish or smaller fish. That's just the reality of things. Go in the trade machine and play around and you'll see exactly what I mean in terms of they can target guys making $5 million or less, or they can target guys making all of the way up to $20 million based off of the assets that they have available in order to try to trade. There's not a solution on the roster, Pete. Like, and as much as we can say like, oh, turn the dial in this direction or sure. play this coverage a little bit more, sure. like there's going to be problems that arise from that based off of the limitations of the personnel. Now, that doesn't mean they shouldn't be trying that stuff, right? But the end solution to me is, is there a forward on the market, someone who is is mm-hmm. six eight or bigger that can you can get, whether it's a guy who doesn't make a lot of money or a guy who makes more than just a little bit of money, right? And say, come in and play for us and play 15 to 20 minutes as a mobile perimeter defender who can also play down low some and not get killed on the backboards right it, you don't have to be a massive rim protector you don't have to be a super lob threat all you got to do is do a b and c for us because that kind of guy is going to help and i think that's sort mm. of what you were
3: advocating for yesterday yeah, yeah right? that's 100 percent. yes yeah and, and it like and so the bar isn't particularly high but yeah we just don't have that guy on the roster and earlier in the year I was much more adamant about the lineups and and the schemes so the lineups on their own right like don't start your worst players type of thing and then a mismatch between lineups and schemes, meaning that we were dropping a lot with our small groups where it was like, of course that's not going to work. Whereas now, like the stuff like the zone look, like it would be nice. It would be, and, and most small ball teams have a zone look. It would be good to have, but it's not as big of a difference maker as all of that stuff earlier in the season. We're much closer to being aligned with our personnel and our, our, uh, our schemes than before to the point where it's now like, yeah, like, on if if ariza can't play that's really the killer it's because the guy that you were describing right there was what it's ariza trevor was ariza. supposed to yes
2: be. yes it's trevor
3: ariza and to that
2: point like dwight and ariza to me are a similar class of player ariza's a little bit below dwight right mm-hmm. but they are a similar type of guy in 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 that i've seen a marked difference in them the more rest that they have Just in terms of their competitiveness and how much they're able to give both those guys try both those guys know what they're doing. They are smart basketball players. What they no longer have is the juice in their legs to be like, I can play my style. The style that they have played there basically for their entire careers. And even as they've diminished, they've adjusted and adapted to that diminished level. They are now below a level where that adaptability can allow them to survive in an NBA basketball game night after night after night. I'd love to see them be able to sort of like, hey, tonight's a Dwight night and tonight's an Ariza night, but it can't be. But that can't be every night. Right? Yeah, they're and like so, once
3: or twice a week players. <laughs> yeah,
2: and so when you're looking at Portland, maybe you steal eight minutes against Nurkic with Dwight Howard, right? And against, I don't know, man, like any of these other teams, it's just like, okay, well, maybe this is a night where you start mellow next to Stanley, and then you play Ariza right? Because that's the way that the forward lineup is going to shake out. There is a flexibility that is needed in order to win that night. That's the threshold now.
4: It's like Rondo a couple of years ago, right? Was basically the, He should have been like the 13th, 12th, 13th guy for the regular season. He'd come in every four or five games and be really good. And then the other games, mm-hmm. he would struggle some, but he was playing anyway. And that's what we had all those debates about, like, why is Caruso not playing more minutes, et cetera. And this year, that's the spot that guys like Dwight and Ariza should have been in. But because of none in one part missing the whole season, and then because Oy. of either LeBron yeah. or AD being out, and then let alone all the other absences, but those are the main things, right? Just your guys that you're two your max best players, and then your your exception guy that came in, your potential six man guy, that's pushed, slotted everybody up the wrong way. And and mm-hmm. and thus here we are. And and it's you know, that's just the bottom line of the season.
3: And so is Tht not really being up to it, right? Like he's the guy that we paid the fourth most amount of money this season, and he's not really that much of a consideration for that. You know, one of the five closing spots, and so that combined with none, Mike is killer.
4: And just well, the Tht right, that's a whole separate thing. I like guess his what he, what he's sure. really good at is not the stuff that they need as much. You know, because they yeah, like they've yeah. got guys
3: that are better yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, and so sure.
4: that's in, yeah, the stuff that he has w- could eventually grow into, kind of like Kuzma, where Kuzma right away, come in, hey, come in and score. Yeah. Oh, he was good at that. Then once you asked him to kind yeah. of switch to be the role player, it took a little bit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the process. And unfortunately, he hasn't had the stars next to him to really, you know, figure out this is how I will play off of them. Anyway, another injury, another, uh, you know, did a stretch, uh, another little stretch of holding it down. We'll be back tomorrow. I think we'll want to talk some Avery Bradley tomorrow. Have the Avery Bradley conversation with you guys. <laughs> but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
2: Danger's got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's And The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Good on the- and
4: flex. that next to the winner, it's on the way, no! Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, Shack with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA
1: Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this.
0: You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby are you kidding
4: me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game.
1: Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the go. move. Two, Two score, score, one. one. Listen. Listen. Unbelievable. Long Long it's over.
0: Bryant. Shot popping out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant.
1: Yeah!
0: putting together
4: a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?